0: Today's episode will discuss true stories of violence against women and children, domestic violence, suicide, self-harm, and other sensitive topics. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Welcome to Connecting the Docs a podcast from the State Archives of North Carolina where archivists connect archival materials to fascinating and true stories from the past. We deliver rare and often overlooked topics related to North Carolina's storied history. Now here's your host, John Haran.
0: Connecting the docs, the podcast for the State Archives of North Carolina, and I'm your host, John Haran. We have a special today, a Halloween special for your enjoyment. We are going to revisit murder ballads. So today I have Katie Crickmore. Hello and producer Josh Hager. It's
2: time to get spooky. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, the time to get spooky. So let's get started with what is a murder ballad?
3: So these types of songs exist as a subgenre of traditional folk ballads, and like the name implies, they tell the story of a murder or a suspicious death. The ballad tradition was brought over to the Appalachian region with settlers from the British Isles, but you can hear more about that in a future podcast episode. Murder ballads were abundant in Appalachian folk music, and a surprising number of classic murder ballads were based on North Carolina true crime cases. The story of Omi Wise is a perfect example of this.
4: Oh, listen to my story, and i tell you no lies how John Lewis didn't murder poor little Omi Wise. Little Omi, little Omi, let me tell you my mind. My mind is to drown you and leave you behind. Take pity on my baby and spare me my life, and I'll go home as a beggar, and I'll never be your wife. Then he kissed her, and he hugged her, and turned her around. Then he pushed her in deep waters, where he knew that she would drown.
3: These lyrics are from a traditional Appalachian folk song called Omi Wise, which tells the story of a young woman who was murdered by her lover when he found out she had gotten pregnant. Pretty dark stuff, but pretty standard for a murder ballad.
0: So that is a, that, that is dark for sure. Yeah. So give us the, the backstory of the case. What's going on?
3: So, yeah, so just based on the facts, what we know is that sometime in the spring of 1807, the body of Naomi Wise was found floating in Deep River in Randolph County. And immediately after, a man named Jonathan Lewis of the same county was arrested for her murder, though he claimed he was innocent. Even though Lewis was put under heavy guard, he escaped jail before his trial and hid out in Indiana for a few years before he was recaptured and brought back to North Carolina. He was found guilty of escaping jail in the fall of 1813, but no records seem to exist about his trial for the murder of Naomi. There's some evidence that he was tried in Guilford County to avoid a biased jury maybe, and if that was the case, he was probably acquitted for the murder in 1815. John Lewis always publicly proclaimed his innocence until he died a few years later in 1817.
0: So that's the story?
3: Yes, that's the facts that we have based on the records at the State Archives.
0: Terrific, and What's the story in the ballad?
3: The ballad is a little bit different. It has a lot more detail, first of all. It lists, or it says that they met at Adams's spring. She had gotten pregnant by him, and that was the reason they were going to meet, to run away, to get married. And it also portrays Naomi as kind of an innocent 18-year-old orphan who didn't know any better, and John as a 'er ne'er-do-well who was definitely guilty of her murder, no question.
0: That's interesting. So in the ballad he's Mm -hmm. definitely guilty yes um oh yeah go ahead
3: yeah there's actually a part at the end of the ballad in a lot of versions that have people rounding him up immediately when her body is found to go confront to you know bring him to her body to have him you know confess on the spot Uh, but he doesn't confess in the song he's just brought to jail immediately yeah so they they knew he was guilty according to the song
0: and of course the records don't Nobody kno- knew he was guilty in the yeah, records.
3: Yeah, the records are pretty uh, sparse from that county at that time period. It is interesting that he was arrested almost immediately after her body was found. So there's evidence, you know, they did think he was guilty right away. In fact, there's a lot of gaps in the story that the ballad could fill in if, you know, we can trust it. And that was that's kind of the question, like how much can we lean on this ballad to, you know, fill in these gaps?
0: Sure, sure, yeah. And so... When did the ballad kind of get started? How did did that all come about? So, yeah,
3: the first uh, published version was in the Evergreen newspaper in 1851 by Braxton Craven. He was a uh, teacher who uh, wrote under a pen name. But basically, it followed the same story, but it was a fictionalized version of the murder. But at the end of it, he included that, you know, this is based on, you know, a very common song sung in Randolph County, and here's the lyrics. So that was the earliest version that was published. And then we also have a supplemental contemporary account, a poem by Mary Woody that was actually found in the 1950s. And she lived in Randolph County around the same time as the, as the trial. She probably wrote it around 1813. So this is the earliest contemporary account we have. And that also follows the same basic story. It, it has Adams's Spring, it has that she was pregnant by John Lewis, and that was the motive for the murder. So, if the ballad version was based on facts, it definitely would fill in a lot of gaps.
2: But, I mean, the the ballad itself has created sort of a mythology, right? Because isn't there a town in Randolph County where Naomi Wise is sort of the most remembered local celebrity?
3: Where this story takes place is Randleman in Randolph County, and they fully adopted this story. They have Naomi Falls, Naomi Bridge, Naomi Road. They have marked off where Adams' spring was, where they probably would have met— they even there's a stump in some versions of the story that say this you know she she used a stump to get on a horse and he took her to the river. They had for a while marked off where the stump was even.
0: That's fantastic. So this town is just cashing in on a 200-year-old yes, story. they
3: love it and they've they've definitely you know adopted it and they they have a whole page about it on their web on their website.
2: Do most of the modern Randleman residents? think that John Lewis was a ne'er-do-well murderer?
3: I think that they do still think he's guilty. A rumor has been floating around that he had a deathbed confession, which is common in a lot of these cases. You know, someone, oh, I, I heard he did confess on his deathbed. You know, that's never been proven. He died in Indiana. So if he did, I don't know how it would have gotten back to North Carolina that he confessed on his deathbed. Um, but yeah, they, they still think he was probably guilty based on the song the the residents that you know knew him at the time and passed it down.
2: Yeah. So in this case, I think you're you're telling us that the ballad is perhaps a a slight exaggeration or a slight editorial license, but is primarily pretty accurate.
3: Yeah. The um the only difference I think in a lot of the earlier versions is Mary Woody Woody's poem. In her version, she does paint Naomi Wise in a slightly different light. She states that she was older than John Lewis. She already had two other children out of wedlock with other men. And she had a questionable character in the town. And she was the one taking advantage of John Lewis in her version. But John Lewis still was the murderer who, you know, was trying to get rid of her to save face to the community, basically. In this case, the details are so specific and consistent throughout. I think it's fair to say that the ballad can contain some truth to it that we can lean on. I love these types of ballads, actually, that can be used to fill in the gaps in records. Uh, They definitely add to the story, I think. I mean, the same can't be said for all of them, though. Like, unfortunately, the ballad of Frankie Silver. This awful dark and dismal day has swept my glory all away. My sun goes down, my days are past, and I must leave this world at last.
0: Yeah, so Frankie Silver is a story we, we did in season one, and so we're not going to do too much again here, but I do think it's interesting to kind of make that connection. In Omi Wise, we know that the ballads, there's not a lot of variation through the ballads, right. except for in maybe perhaps that first poem and into the ballads. And so then because there's not a lot of variation, We can use it to kind of frame the the records that we do have, Mm -hmm. and that makes sense. In the case of Frankie Silver, it sounds like that's not true, and so I'd I'd like to hear what is.
3: Sure, yeah. So, again, yeah, like you said, there has been a lot of uh, stuff done about Frankie Silver. It's a very famous case. All you really need to know is that she was a Burke County woman who was found guilty of murdering her husband and was hanged for the crime in 1833. Right after she was hanged, A ballad started circulating around the area, but it was different from the Omiwai's ballad. In short, because it was written in a more traditional, broadside ballad format, that is a holdover from the British kind of format of ballads, and unfortunately those are much more vague and unspecific. The story behind the ballad was that it was allegedly written by Frankie while she was in jail, and she sung it at her execution which is a rumor, obviously that didn't really happen. She did affirm her guilt, but there really wasn't a crowd. So that didn't happen. She did not sing it out at the gallows. But it is an example of a gallows ballad for that reason. It's um, sometimes called farewell ballads. It's a subset of murder ballads. They're based on, like I said, the the British broadside tradition, which is usually a song or a poem that describes a news story uh, to make it memorable, to get it out to the public. And Gallo's ballads were very common in this format and were from the point of view of the condemned while they were facing their death. So it's meant really to focus on internal turmoil over the story of the of the murder. Yeah, And because of that, her ballad unfor- unfortunately just reads a little vague, uh, especially the later versions. The early lyrics, there are some stanzas that include some um, details that are specific to her, like Burning her husband's remains in the fireplace, and you know, leaving her child behind. But it's just one line out of like 14 stanzas, so it's it's very uh, unspecific. Uh, but you know, again, that was because they were supposed to be kind of vague, the the broadside or the the gallows ballad format.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, you know, that that tracks because a broadside is uh, is another word for a newspaper. So uh, right. you're trying to sell newspapers. You want mm-hmm. the headline to be specific, but Maybe not that to get somebody in, and then they're right. reading a story. They and just so kind of wanted it to right. be
3: memorable and repeatable.
0: Yeah, it totally um, totally makes sense. Totally makes sense.
3: There's there's actually evidence that Frankie Silver's ballad was a reworking of one that already existed from Kentucky or somewhere. Because. There, there was a newspaper account from the late 1800s that said, "Hey, I actually recognize that ballad, and I'm from Kentucky. It's you know so and so." And the first few lines are almost exactly the same, so that's pretty strong evidence that ballad does not exist, though. So we can't confirm, mm-hmm. or it didn't last. The lyrics didn't really sure. um, survive. And actually, her ballad was reworked again into another ballad called Pennington's Lament. But yeah, that's the, so that's t- kind of the nature to of it. To put
2: this in modern parlance: this is like an early. St- Occasion of sampling,
3: yes, yes. <laughs> oh, I like it. <laughs> they okay. would use the tune. Sure. Some of the more you know, uh, good stanzas. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's a, a, change a few that, details. That's, that that's a great way of putting it, right? Because mm-hmm. you're talking about like if 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 this timeline is to be believed that you know there's a there's a ballad out there and then somebody heard it and then knew about the Frankie Silver story mm-hmm. and right. decided to switch it up, make it sound good for that, mm-hmm. and then somebody else hears maybe both and says this is what i'm gonna do for pennington's lament and that's Mm -hmm. that's a whole that's a whole um that's a through line that's 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 great for music maybe and ballads but not really for understanding frankie silver's story right
3: yeah it doesn't unfortunately add a lot to (laughs) the story if we're trying to fill in any gaps
2: it makes it like it's it's more steps removed from the case because of the the way the song was constructed
3: there was actually a rumor that's that persisted that said on the day of her execution someone was already handing out printed scraps of the ballad uh, itself like in its in its entirety that's never been confirmed but that rumor has existed in um in the county for <laughs> for hundreds of years
0: i like the idea of there's a competing rumor because it's, yeah, you yeah. have this idea that she wrote it on that the day. That she wrote it and
3: sang it while she was being executed. Right. But another. And yet writer, yet somehow
0: they have the. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that. Doesn't quite track. Doesn't quite track. <laughs> but that's one also the nature.
3: Both. Yeah, also the nature of Frankie Silver's case, though. There's so many different competing, you know, theories about what actually happened. So. Which
2: we covered in the first three episodes mm-hmm. of season one. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's so. right. Yeah.
3: Every document tells a story. Help the State Archives tell these stories, your stories, by joining the Friends of the Archives, the nonprofit fundraising partner that helps preserve the documentary heritage of North Carolina. Join us for our annual meeting each November, where renowned historians and authors explore the fascinating history of our state. This event is free, and all are welcome. Learn about this year's speaker and more at foanc.org. That's f o a n c dot org. Now back to the show.
0: We just wrapped up with Frankie Silver. Yes. And that story, you know, is we could say is not quite what's going on. We're not. There's a lot of competing things going on, so we're not sure. But it's pretty sensational. Oh yeah. Is it the most sensational of the murder ballads, in your opinion?
3: Oh well, I would say out of the North Carolina ones, that the most sensational has got to be Poor Ellen Smith.
0: And who is Ellen Smith?
3: So, Ellen Smith was a woman out of Forsyth County. In January of 1890, uh, a young woman named Ellen Smith met and began a relationship with Peter DeGraff. Peter was reported to be a rough and dangerous man who often got women into trouble, quotation marks, but refused to marry them. Ellen already had a child with Peter, actually, in 1891, which probably died in infancy, but she became pregnant again in July of 1892. But just a few weeks later, Ellen Smith's body was found behind the Zizendorf Hotel with a gunshot wound to the chest and a note from Peter in her pocket. Peter hid out for the next year, but was eventually caught in July of 1893, and the month after, he was found guilty of Ellen's murder. He was hanged in February of 1894 and reportedly confessed to killing Ellen at the gallows. He was claiming that he was drunk, and he was warning others not to make his same mistakes. Wow.
4: Poor Ellen Smith. How she was found, shot through the heart, lying cold on the ground. I've been in this prison for twenty long years. Each night I see Ellen through my bitter tears. The warden just told me soon I'll be free to go to her grave near that old willow tree
0: that is a that's a pretty gruesome tale it seems pretty clear we, we have the all of the facts of this case right
3: but beyond the uh, the gruesome crime itself what makes this so sensational to me is that the case incited a public and media frenzy so this was in 1890 so a lot of the details that we have about this case come from tons of newspaper articles that circulated right after the fact um, The treatment of Ellen's body was actually horrible, according to all these newspaper accounts. She was stripped naked for the post-mortem exam behind the hotel and then was carried through town to finish the exam at like a town hall. And the public was even allowed to watch as they finished. It got so bad that Ellen's aunt had heard about it through the grapevine. She lived in another county. They didn't even bother to try to find her family. She had heard about it. And instead of, you know, the family being contacted, she had to travel to Winston-Salem herself to demand justice for the treatment of her niece. And then, you know, try to demand justice for her murder. Uh, So essentially, this was kind of a peak true crime, sensational story. I mean, that's nothing new in in true crime
0: circles these days. Yeah, and so... You, you have, you ha- so you, so th- we have two pieces of sensationalism. You have the murder itself, which right. is tremendously sensational. Mm-hmm. And then you have the treatment of the body, which is, you know, a whole, horrible, yeah. yeah, a whole nother issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it w- that's just wild to me. She was just, buried just in crazy. a pauper's
3: grave. They, they had, what, yeah, what gets me is they didn't even bother trying to find her family. They just assumed, yeah. oh, she's, uh, she's probably an orphan. No one, you know, would mind, I guess. But she had a family in Yadkin County. They just didn't bother to go.
2: And Look at the contrast here. You know, in the, in the previous two cases, they were earlier. Mm-hmm. So we have, you know, a more, like, by this time period, society has gotten a little bit more sensational with yellow journalism and things like that in the media. Mm-hmm. But this also is an urban case. Like, right. she's shot dead behind a downtown hotel. In the Middle of
3: Winston-Salem. Yeah, yeah
2: like, so in an urban area, you might have – a gathering of folks, but downtown Winston-Salem, you're going to have a crowd. Yeah. And, I mean, this uh, this is crazy to me, but, I mean, I think it's there's so many factors going on. I mean, the and we think of the 1890s as the peak of, like, Victorian morals. Right, right. Like, but very, very strict social const- con, uh, constraints, especially in urban, in cities, but this does not track with that. Yeah. This kind of behavior does not track at all. And, and if you put this scene in a depiction of a mystery uh, set in the 1890s, people would call you out as being, as being completely incur- yeah.
3: mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> What uh, Interesting, too. I thought uh, right after the body was found, the day after the newspaper ran this long piece about Peter de Graff, like, he's the man who's guilty here's all we know about him like they contacted relatives and friends and
0: oh they, they contacted his relatives yeah relatives. i guess they were <laughs> that's closer. Interesting. yeah i guess and and it's the very next day yeah the next day
3: they have the report you know body found behind uh-huh. hotel the next day a huge write-up front oh, wow. page about peter de graff the murderer wow.
4: yeah
2: how long does it take before we start seeing the ballad So
3: the ballad shows up uh, pretty soon afterwards. Uh, Two versions actually started circulating, which I thought was interesting. One was called Ellen Smith, and it presents Peter DeGraff as innocent, even though he did confess at the gallows. Uh, The second version was called Poor Ellen Smith, and it depicted him as definitely guilty. Um, And no surprise, that's actually the version that has survived. Um, It's the one more often recorded. Uh, But yeah, there's tons of versions of this song that's been circulating around uh, since then. Something I thought was interesting as well is uh, in the ballad, even the poor Ellen Smith one, which started showing up right after it happened, there's a stanza that seems to have survived that says, I've been in jail 20 long years, soon they'll let me out and I'll go to her grave under the willow tree, but he was executed very soon after he was found guilty. And so I just thought that was an interesting detail that that, you know, part was actually written in.
0: It makes you wonder what's the like, does the does the original writer of the of the ballad think, well, you know, like a month later, this guy is is hanged for this. Yeah, that doesn't really rhyme. So I'd rather go for twenty twenty years in a willow tree. This is, is more that, dynamic, right? Is know? that like is that what's get, going on? He
3: has to torture, you know, I mean, with the. Crime. Right And the yeah. warden
0: piece, right? Because he's the warden yeah. says he'll let him go. Like right, that's yeah. not how the no. justice system works. A long time works. on
3: death row
2: is very much a later twentieth century. <laughs> that's right. Like, in this time period, if you're sentenced to death, it's it's, very it's a very quick. swift sentence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're like, not sitting there. It's not that day, but it not usually. It's, yeah. But it's not going to be more than a couple right. Of weeks. Right.
3: Right.
0: That's, that's a really fascinating. Even that with an appeal, it might take
3: you know yeah.
2: a couple months at most. I think you know we'll see three years. I think was the longest. Yeah, it's very very just well. Because that's of that's, a, that's
0: an interesting <laughs> question there. I mean, like, the, so I'm wondering if the insertion of this stanza, this little piece about twenty years, does that discredit the whole thing? Do you think, or does that is that just like a stylistic thing, like we've just mentioned? Does it do anything either way? What's the what's the idea? Do you have any thoughts on that?
3: Well, like the like we discussed the kind of sensational aspect of the crime. I think that the ballad was written to kind of capitalize on that. Um, an early version, the lyrics said, uh, "Poor Ellen Smith, how was she found? Shot through the heart, lying cold on the ground. Her body was mangled and all cast around, and blood marks the spot where poor Ellen was on. She was actually found uh, fully." Clothed, She was uh, actually positioned pretty nicely, they said, as if someone, you know, uh, regretted what had happened. She was, you know, laid very nicely on, you know, a, a patch of grass. She, her body wasn't mangled or anything, and it was just, you know, the one shot. So I think they kind of leaned into the whole sensational aspect of the crime. There, there was quite a few uh, kind of exaggerations, let's say, in the, uh, in the original version.
2: And we can use our records here to sort of see where the, the exaggerations have trickled in.
3: Right, yeah. You can definitely see uh, the newspapers are a good source. You can see, like, where they got the details there. Uh, but they, we have the original um, arrest records, the court records for it. Uh, I think it's interesting, actually, in the court records, there is, when they said he was sentenced to be hanged, the clerk wrote... Until he be dead, 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 all underlined, which is a detail I usually don't, you know, see when you know looking at these sentencings it Makes me think that they were still kind of caught up in the emotion <laughs> of the moment. Triple yeah. dead, yeah. right, right. Dead, dead, it dead. sounds
0: to me like you know that was in the murder ballot. If you would have said this is in the murder ballot, I would have been like, okay, that makes sense. But you're telling me that's in the actual record. That's in the record. Yeah, and the clerk,
3: the clerk actually wrote, you know, till he be dead, 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 all underlined, exclamation <laughs> point. Um, and you can see that in the, uh, the the Forsyth County Superior Court minutes from 1893.
0: It's amazing. <laughs> so you could pull that pull that pull record and, and start and, flipping through it, yeah. Right, and find somebody to be dead, 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 not just once, <laughs> not just once. But they didn't hang him thrice, I don't think. No,
3: just the once. Okay,
0: <laughs> <laughs> once was enough. All right. Well, so what other uh, are there other kind of contrasts that we can make, connections we can make between the the ballad itself and the archival record?
3: Yeah, most of the story is told through, you know, the newspaper newspaper accounts that I mentioned. There's lots of write-ups you can find in the newspapers that we have on site in the microfilm room at the State Archives. They all have these, you know, huge titles. He killed Ellen. Body found behind hotel. So those would definitely be interesting to take a look at. The spirit Court minutes have, you know, a lot of details about the case, criminal action papers from that time. We also have a statement, or like, the Winston City Directory can be found online, which is interesting. It shows where she was working at the time. So there's definitely a lot of documents that you can look at to uh, kind of delve further into the story.
0: Yeah, piece it all together. Mm-hmm. Terrific. And I think there
2: is, it's going to be said here at this point, we've seen three cases. We're seeing that there is a, a difference, I would say, and, and I think it, you agree, Katie, between the history of these cases— and as true crime as events in their communities and the history of the ballads as sort of popular culture and memory like Mm -hmm. they don't have to be tied together the ballads are inspired by these events but the ballads take over their take a life of
3: their own they They have their own history they have their own culture culture around it yeah Um, you can kind of see that in the next case we're going to talk about the lawson family murder It was another sensational North Carolina true crime story. Uh, I'll give the backstory really briefly. On Christmas Day in 1929, Charlie Lawson murdered his wife and six of his children and then committed suicide. That was in Stokes County. And the motive for this crime is unknown to this day, but needless to say, those murders also caused a huge uproar. The family was buried in a shared plot in a small cemetery in that county, and the funeral was attended by the hundreds. And even you know more so, more shocking. Marion Lawson, Charlie's brother, who handled his estate, decided to open up the Lawson's house where the murders had occurred as a tourist attraction for several years after the fact. And wow. <laughs> most, maybe most surprising about this case is a ballad based on the crime was recorded just three months after it happened. So you can, and the reason for this is kind of uh, threefold. So. There was, in at the turn of the century, a huge movement started to preserve Appalachian folk music in kind of collections. You know, because they were usually told orally, or you know, passed down orally, and so there was a huge push to actually preserve them in written form. So it was already happening at that level. Around 1925. There was an electrical era of sound recording that began, which basically all the equipment got updated. It was a lot easier to record things. And so a lot of these folk music pieces from from the Appalachian uh, region was recorded around the 1920s. Because that was, you know, also like, oh, we'll preserve them in this form as well. So you can see a lot of these murder ballads, the earliest recordings, were from 1924, 25, up till about 29. So thirdly, a a nationwide folk music movement began in the 1940s, and, you know, that was a huge kind of deal nationwide. So this case kind of happened right in the middle of all this going on, which was just kind of a perfect storm to how, you know, this got written and recorded so quickly. The the writers were likely just trying to take advantage of the boom in murder ballads culturally. But, yeah.
2: Let's hear... An excerpt of what they came up with three months after.
4: His name was Charlie Lawson, and he had a loving wife. So they'll never know what caused him to take his family's life.
3: They say he killed his wife at first, and the little ones did cry. Please, Papa, don't you spare our life, for it is so hard to die.
0: That's rough. Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, it's a tough one because, you know, in the previous cases it's been mostly one-on-one mm-hmm. you know in this case it is not one
3: this one's definitely the roughest yeah
0: the, the, you have a, you have this guy who who is it seven and then himself
3: yes the uh, the only member he did not murder was actually his eldest son who he sent on an errand right before there's different theories about why he you know, decided to spare him. The, the leading one is probably just that he was, you know, the only one that could stop him. So he got him out of the house. But yeah, and unfortunately, his eldest son, Arthur, actually died uh, pretty early as well. He had a wife and children, but uh, around in his 30s, he was in a horrible truck accident. So that whole family has dealt with a lot of tragedy.
1: Yeah,
0: definitely. And I would, I, it just seems interesting. So you're, so the, the we have this ballad in 29. Right. And then by th- 1930... There's March
3: nineteen thirty, yeah. So the murder took place December twenty fifth, nineteen twenty nine. And by Christmas March nineteen thirty it was recorded.
2: So that would explain why if 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 you go out and listen to the ballads, the full versions, which we encourage you to do, mm-hmm. find them online. The ballad opens like almost like a Christmas carol. Yes. And you could be lured into thinking <laughs> this is a very you know, you know nice, nice story yeah, carol. in North mm-hmm. North Carolina, yeah. there's snow on the ground. Sure. It's ends up being the most macabre yeah. song mm-hmm. of the bunch. Yeah,
0: that's right. I mean, yeah, and and I I am I'm, I'm stuck with this with this eldest son, right? So at three months later, not only does he ha- have to process the fact that his whole family's dead right. at the at the hand of his father, he also has to. And perhaps he could have been there to stop it. Right. Yeah. If if that's the theory, that that's why he was sent, sent away. away. He's got to deal with all that, and on top of that, three months and at Christmas time, at usually a, a nice time. Usually, yeah. he's then got to deal with the fact that three months later, March time rolls around, and he's he's you know spring things are popping up. Well, one thing that pops up is a new murder ballad, and it's about, about his family. His
3: family, yeah. That
0: is that's that's rough. It, it uh, was
3: it said that as when he was older, he actually got a recording of this and would play it all by himself to try to process his grief and he was really missing his wow. family, like, that's rough.
0: Yeah, that's really hard. I
2: mean, you, you wouldn't have had that same ability for these older cases because you wouldn't right. have had easier access to that's sound right. recordings. Mm-hmm. But, but in this time period, you have record players in people's houses. Exactly. So you, you could listen to it. I mean, this is, the wax cylinder's come and gone. This is in the period of early mm-hmm. vinyl. So, yeah, this, I, I wonder, and this is something we probably will never know, but do you? Th- I wonder if the eldest son or anyone else, like the friends, heard this on the radio, like out of just yeah, with like no just warning. Yeah, just out of the blue. Because this is like the radio is becoming big. Like you mm-hmm. said, I mean, this is the the boom of electrical music. Right. So to in my mind, it's actually quite plausible that the community heard the song, mm-hmm. the family, mm-hmm. their eldest son heard the song. Heck, even the jurors. They might have heard this if yeah. there had been. A if jury. there had been, you know, but yeah. like There's not a trial here because he right. kills himself. But right. like, this goes on so quickly. Yeah. Like anyone in the town could have heard this right well, away, right when right everything's away. still fresh. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and certainly, I mean, right? He, you said he he dies in an, in an accident, a car mm-hmm. accident with a with a truck. There may have been a radio in the car at that point in the fifties. Yeah and he might have heard it he might have heard it then that day oh total conjecture like it's ru- but, but yeah we, you, you, you got to think can't, about right. that sort of thing that's yeah. right that's right that's exactly right i mean
2: you can't popular culture is hard to escape
0: that's mm-hmm. so true <laughs> it's pervasive it's every it's it's everywhere and yeah. so then you know we're talking about his story and that's all i mean that that's extremely sad as it is there's there's sort of an, another side to the the coin the dark side of the coin is his uncle Right right that has taken over mm-hmm. you mentioned he takes over he takes over the the house
3: yes where
0: all of this happens yep and it doesn't seem like it was a clean affair no and he opens it up for a quarter a pop and he, th- th- this is you know
3: it, yeah it's
0: like house museum, but uh, uh, yeah yeah uncomfortable with <laughs> yeah
3: <laughs> there's a story that went on um so th- his what Charlie Lawson's wife. Uh, Fanny had actually baked a cake that day for Christmas, and it was still cooling on the counter when all this occurred. Marion Lawson chose to leave that out, as well as not cleaning up anything from you know the crime scene. And when tourists would come through, they would take raisins from the cake as souvenirs. Oh so my. he eventually had to put a glass case over it.
2: Of course it was a Christmas fruitcake. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah, it would have to be. They
3: did say, though, when Marion finally decided to close the house, he buried the cake as, like, a sign of, I guess, remorse or, you know, regret maybe. I don't know.
2: (sighs) I mean, so – Well, we're um, not defending him by (laughs) any means, but look at the year this occurred. This is 1929 into 1930, Mm -hmm. and aside from the culturer – popular culture, the biggest thing going on in the country, and arguably the world in the time period, is the depression. Right. I mean, if... I'm not defending what he did at all, but I I can understand why somebody who would have been, hey... This was a horrible thing, but you can earn some money in a fairly easy way. If he's looking at all of the time period, uh, at, yeah, at all really of the uh, the
3: attention that this case was getting, he right. may maybe. Have been
0: unemployed. He may, yeah. have been and that's something the, we haven't yeah. talked about. So we should talk about that in a second. But he may have been unemployed. He's trying to get. He's trying to. You know, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. And maybe, I mean, I don't, it seems like there's more to sort of the mental health aspects on the on the father. But right. maybe it's it's there's a relation to the Great Depression there. That that's uh, One rumor
3: about why he you know, one rumor behind the motive for Charlie Lawson was financial issues. Yeah. Which has never been confirmed, but they it did just sense. they did just purchase their farm a year or two before this happened. Oh, before the was yeah, right before the now, depression. Right
0: so yeah. that's that's it another doesn't trick. Excuse
2: the behavior of, of anybody no, involved no, no. in this. No no. But there it's an important context mm-hmm. because yeah. like in the previous cases, yes, we had I mean, this is a global and national catastrophe right I mean, I mean everybody is that's right. Is just devastated.
0: That's right. yeah, and so you know we have we have all of these aspects that are sad and dark and and what's the news coverage to this?
3: Yeah, there was a lot of newspaper uh, you know accounts of the crime, and they all had kind of very I guess inflammatory you know titles like family slain tragedy in stokes county there's actually this isn't kind of speaking about the newspaper entries but um just reminded me there's actually still a museum that exists on top of a uh, a grocery store or something i think in stokes county that has a lot of these framed uh it's about the lawson family murder and they have a lot of these framed newspapers just hanging on the walls and stuff so it was a lot of accounts that were circulating around because again this is a huge deal
0: yeah, I mean, it's it's covered well. well then we have these the, uh, these yep. ballads that come out, out right away. We have all these dark threads that come through. But it's a, it's a fairly recent thing. Mm-hmm. And you said it was part of a folk music movement. Right,
3: yeah. There was, uh, right after this, was a huge nationwide folk music movement in the 1940s where it really became mainstream in you know the, the cultural zeitgeist of the time. It did lose ste- some steam after a few decades, but that momentum was definitely restored with the release of Tom Dooley in 1958.
0: Yeah, and we'll get to we'll get to Tom Dooley in just a quick second. Oh, I did I did want to <laughs> ask you though, d- d- what kind of what kind of just like in the last one? The last one was kind of the same way with this sensationalism. It's sensational in a different way in that right. in that um, Alan, Ellen uh, Smith. Alan Smith was taken. Was murdered in a brutal way and then taken around town in a brutal way right and but we still have we still have archival records on that we have dead 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 we Mm -hmm. have all that what kind of archival records do we have on on the on the lawson family murder
3: so yeah uh, unfortunately from for this case there's not a lot of court records mainly because you know, he, nev- he never went to court. He decided to kill himself. There's actually a lyric in the stanza, or, a stanza, sorry, there's a stanza in the ballad that says, you know, they did not carry him to jail. No lawyers did he pay, but he'll have his trial in another world on his final judgment day. But we do have other records that, you know, kind of talk about the, or that you can connect to this story. There's census records that are, that show the loss in family. There are, there's a deed where they just bought their home you know, just prior to this. They, they bought their property April 30th, 1927, and you can find that in the Stokes County Deeds, and uh, this occurred in um, December 25th, 1929, so it was about two years before. We also have uh, their death certificates on file. Uh, you can kind of read what they have to say about that, and uh, we also have estate records for Charlie Lawson's property again i think i mentioned marion lawson his brother was the executor of his estate so you can see those records here as well
2: okay yeah and i should i'd be remiss to point out the reason we don't have don't have death certificates for the previous cases is because they didn't exist in north carolina until 1913 right so there aren't vital there are no such thing as vital statistics in north carolina prior to 1913 some cities and counties were maintaining birth records, and some places had death registries, but you don't have statewide birth and death records until 1913, and you really don't have statewide full adoption of everybody getting one until mm-hmm. after World War II.
3: Yeah. Actually, they the Lawson family actually did have another child uh, who died of pneumonia about 10 years prior. He doesn't have a death certificate on file. So even 10 years prior, you know, there wasn't one filed for him.
0: Yeah. Wow. So it— there's all kinds in this, in this case. It's got a history of its own. It's got the story that, of the actual murder-suicide and then all of these things. And then, you know, we're talking about this folk music movement right. that, it, that it sparks and then it, it comes back with Tom Dooley.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Hang down your head, Tom Dooley. Hang down your head and cry. Hang down your head, Tom Dooley. Poor boy, you're bound to die. I met her on the mountain. There I took her life, met her on the mountain, stabbed her with my knife.
0: This potentially, I think, is one of the most famous, if not the yeah. most famous, of these ballads. Tell us about it.
3: So, yeah, the backstory for this is that in 1866, Laura Foster of Caldwell County went missing while riding into Wilkes County to meet with Tom Dooley, her on again, off again lover. Months later, her body is discovered in a shallow grave in between the planned meeting place and Dooley's house. So that's suspicious right out the gate. Um, so Dooley is immediately suspected, along with Laura's cousin, Ann Melton, who also had a romantic history with Tom. The two are tried separately, and while Ann is acquitted, Dooley is convicted of the murder and was hanged for it in
0: 1868. So one of the more interesting things is that... I'm just going to nerd out for a little bit. It's more interesting to me. I'm not sure it's more interesting to everybody, but Dooley is spelled differently in a ton of different ways. Right. What Can you say anything about that?
3: Sure. Yeah. So if you actually, if you look up the murder ballad, Tom Dooley, it's spelled D-O-O-L-E-Y, the way that it's pronounced. His family actually spelled their name in most court records, D-U-L-A. Sometimes on his, uh, confederate records for when he served in the confederacy it's also spelled d-o-o-l-e-y so i think the um that's kind of uh, a holdover from the appalachian dialect the way that they pronounced the uh, a at the end of words as e-y but yeah so you if you're trying to look for records about tom dooley in our records it's it's going to be d-u-l-a and that's it
0: (laughs) but you might find one might find some that's yeah. You might find some yeah, that's different sure. though. So keep just, an eye out for both, I guess. I, I just I just think that the way we spell things is is, is terrific.
2: So I actually can point out a, a great fact with the doula case or Dooley. Sorry, I I I learned the case first actually by the records, which is strange because most people come to this <laughs> from right. the from the song. So I have to tell myself it's pronounced Dooley even Dooley, though Dooley. I see doula yeah. so much. Tom Dooley had the most famous defense attorney of anybody that we've talked about today. His defense attorney was none other than former and future governor of North Carolina, Zebulon Vance. Now, John, you may be wondering, why would a governor <laughs> defend this miscreant sure. who has killed his lover in this sordid love triangle in the furthest my reaches of the state?
0: That's right. You're reading my mind.
2: Try even to talk like you with your words that you might use. Um <laughs> <laughs> Well, take a take a shot in the dark. Why do you think Governor Vance would defend this guy?
0: Well, games were part of episode one, but okay. Um, so <laughs> I think uh, so. Well, I don't I don't really know entirely, but I think a guess would be this is sort of out in the western part of the state. I know Vance, his birthplace was out in the western part mm-hmm. of the state. So it's potentially there's some kind of, you know. You know, family connections is not a very populous area, so perhaps people knew people, and so, you know, this is a favor to, you know, a cousin's son. I don't know. I mean, it's a very good guess. It's wrong,
2: but it's a very good guess. great. So the reason is that Zeb Vance, before he became governor, did briefly serve in the Confederate militia, or in the Confederate Army. I'm not sure which one exactly. And he served with Tom Dooley, but not this Tom Dooley. (laughs) So he had gotten a memo of that Tom Dooley had been arrested for murder in the western part of the state near where he was from. Convinced that it was his brother-in-arms who was being charged who would never commit a crime and didn't, as far as we're aware. (laughs) Zeb Vance took up the case and defended Tom Dooley. That must have been the most awkward attorney-client meeting in, well, (laughs) ever.
0: Yeah, I mean— so what does he do? He just like rolls up and sees that he's like, wait a minute, you're I'll not, you're not, my, you, yeah, yeah, I'll, will de- defend him. Opens the door and he's like, oh, actually, I don't who know who you? you are. So why didn't he just walk away? That's a good question. I, I feel like I, I'm I feel like he, he
3: couldn't back was, out at that no, point, right? Like he's the, already too much probably, PR. Yeah, he's already
2: too much, too much PR. So oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, Like, I mean, that would have been like John Adams backing out of defending the the British in the Boston Massacre. I mean, it would have been like a a, – because, I mean, this is an established political figure who's doing this legal case.
3: This huge case. I'm sure that
2: Vance knew when he walked in the door. He's like, oh, no. Yeah, but, (laughs) but,
0: you know, he's trying to run for governor again, so – Yeah,
2: and he
3: wins eventually again. So he can't
0: bail out on this guy.
3: And this case was uh, so big, actually. This is one of the earliest court exhibits That's presented, it's preserved in our records, a map from the trial that's showing key locations from the case.
0: Oh, wow. So we actually have the map. Yes. So somebody can come come in the same day. Look
3: in the Supreme Court files and see this original exhibit. Court exhibit that has been preserved that shows you know where murder occurred, where Laura Foster was last seen.
0: Oh, that—that's that's, very that cool. is, that's so great. Those are
3: not commonly
2: saved, so yeah, it's a no, really this, cool was, this is yeah. a big deal. you've
0: got these two records here that we're talking about today that are nuts. You have this one that you can find the, where these things happen. You have <laughs> dead, dead, dead coming the same day. <laughs> you see both. I mean, that's yeah. that is, you know. True crime hit popular culture history right now oh, yeah. we're talking about. That is amazing, right? But so
2: I and mean, Tom ends up dead, dead, dead for the record. <laughs> yeah, um, he, he was hanged. Um, but Anne does not because of the way that Tom reacts and says mm-hmm. that it was just him and only him. So Anne is, is scot free. So that's there's the big lasting eternal mystery in, in the in Wilkes County of was Anne guilty? Was Anne innocent? Were they do it together? And people will still Vociferously argue this case, and in fact, if you look on Google Maps today for rural Wilkes County, the gravestones of Dooley and of Laura Foster are like tourist sites. Wow, you can visit they're like on, on Google Maps, on pointed Google out. Maps. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: wow. What about so? But not not Anne's.
3: No, Anne actually died. They think by a cart falling over on her a few years afterwards. But I don't think her gravesite was known. I could be wrong about that, but but either way, she it's, not.
0: It's, it's, not not, it's, it's she died like afterwards, yeah, and it's not on Google. It's
3: not like a big, yeah, it's not a big deal, the eye.
0: right? And it, yeah, so not on Google. In so other right, words. not on
2: Google. <laughs> so we know this case takes place in 1868, mm-hmm. and we know 90 years later is when the Kingston Trio releases the song that makes this a national story. Right. What
3: happened? What happened in between? between? So actually, with how famous this case was, it might not be surprising for you guys to hear the first written account was an 1868 poem that you we know, talked about the case, uh, and it was by Thomas C. Land. It was you know, in poem form, but after that, it was covered by tons of people. An interesting detail is that the first recording was done in 1929 by G.B. Grayson. He had a connection to the story firsthand through his, co- through his uncle, James Grayson, who, if you know the lyrics of the song Tom Dooley, There's one line that says, if it hadn't been for Grayson, I'd been back in Tennessee. So a part of the story is that Tom had uh, left for Tennessee for a time, and he uh, was employed by James Grayson, Colonel James Grayson on his land. And James Grayson helped capture him when they found out where he was. So he has been immortalized in the song, and his, uh, his nephew was the first recorder of the song. After that, it was uh, recorded by Frank Prophet, who also had a connection to the song. He grew up in Watauga County, and he learned the song from his older relatives, who had passed it down orally. They had actually known both Dooley and Foster through their, you know, connections through town. But yeah, the best known cover of this song is definitely the Kingston Trio version from 1958.
2: Am I correct in thinking that the Kingston Trio version goes to, like, number one on the charts?
3: Yeah, it was number one for a little while, and it has—it's won tons of awards. I, I don't think I wrote them all down. Uh, but, yeah, it—and it's actually—it's often cited as the spark that, you know, revived the folk music movement. And you can a- actually see a lot of these were re-recorded in the 1960s right after this song became, you know, number one in the charts. That's when a lot of these re-recordings are done.
0: Of other murder of ballads.
3: Of other murder ballads. The ones we talked about today and others, yeah.
0: So without
2: the Kingston Trio cover of Tom Dooley, this episode might not be happening.
0: <laughs> yeah. S- certainly not in the same way. Mm-hmm. I, no, I, yeah, I, definitely I think not. you're right about that. I think you're right about that. And so th- we, we credit this case for a, for a lot of things, and it includes this, this notion of these types of ballads kind of enduring through history. It's not right. just, you know... Uh, 90 years later is, is when it gets rediscovered, and then it sparks this whole thing, and I feel like we're still in it now.
3: Oh, yeah. You can see this uh, in, you know, the true crime boom for, you know, podcasting that's happened the past few years. People are always interested in stories like this, and I think it's it's kind of a, a testament of human nature, and it's also, I think, uh, important for the victims of these crimes that their stories are heard. I think it's just really nice that we still you know, remember these victims, even from the oldest of these that we talked about today from 1807. We still know their names. We know the story t- for, you know, as much as we can know. So I think, yeah, it's, it's nice that they have this kind of enduring Yeah, know, I, think
0: it, I think to that, to that point, it's, you know, you, you, th- you hear the stories and you hear the lyrics for mm-hmm. sure. And you, you know, you, you there's a, there's a saddening effect to it, but, you know, what's sad is the fact that you, you can't ever know everything that happened it, yeah, there. Yeah, it's very frustrating. Right, it's, it's super frustrating. It, you know, in true crime of today, these things are modern stories, and even they don't have the answers all the time. Right. And so these old cases that, you know, are they, 100 years removed from from, right. from vital statistics, as we discussed, you know, it, it's so hard to... So much is lost, and yet we still remember that, their names, and I think that part... At least that enduring that piece is, I think that that's, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. I think that, that 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 point is spot on.
2: Although I will say one point that's quite ironic. You know, when I've mentioned to people outside the archives before that we have the records of the Tom Dooley case, they only knew it as the song from the Kingston Trio and were surprised that it was based on a true story. Right. I- so, like, the more popular some of these murder ballads get, and there are murder ballads now about fictional cases. Mm hmm. People might not realize that Frankie Silver was real and Tom Dooley was real, and so they—they've it they've becomes more removed. They've transcended history and become part of folklore. Yeah,
0: right. That's exactly that's right. That's well put. It's well put. Yeah, and so people are recording stuff now that's both fictional and these true stories, right? Right.
3: Yeah. Uh, There's still actually North Carolina. Uh, bass bands are still releasing music based on these stories. Uh, there's uh, the Red Clay Ramblers, the ballad of beautiful Nell Cropsey, which is a story we didn't cover today, but is also another true crime. North Carolina case that's very famous and has a bunch of ballads that was written about it. Um, and then the Couldn't Be Happier's and Brown Mountain Lightning Bugs covered, or didn't cover, but wrote Frankie Silver, Take It to the Grave, which is another song based on the Frankie Silver case. So yeah, they're still enduring. They're still uh, inspiring. Uh, people to this day,
0: yeah.
2: And then there are the fictional ones too. Like the the don't the chicks have one? Yeah, Goodbye Earl
3: is a very uh, commonly uh, cited murder ballad. Taylor Swift, uh, Taylor Swift, yeah. No body, no crime. Uh, even if you're familiar with the Hunger Games, the Hanging Tree song is a murder ballad that was written for the movie. But
2: and those are fictional stories. Those are all
3: fictional stories. But, These ones like, that we which covered explains yeah. why some
2: people, if they're not, they kind of get yeah, they kind of get confused.
0: Yeah. How do you know which mm-hmm. one is the real case and <laughs> which one? Is the real? Right. Yeah. I mean, goodbye, Earl, or goodbye, Tom. Yeah. You know, uh. you know, how would you know which one is real? But you know, you come to us, and then we'll tell you right. which yeah. one is real. Songs we will.
2: When a song comes up on Spotify or Pandora, it doesn't come with footnotes. No,
0: that's, <laughs> <laughs> maybe it should. But you know what it does? We we will we will help you with the footnotes here, and we've I I, I want I appreciate the way we've connected the docs to the music to the culture so thank you both for being part of this today thank you katie thank josh. you josh you're saying this show is done 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 <laughs> i'm saying it's done 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 dun, but dun, not dun. dead 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 <laughs> <laughs> <The distinction. laughs> so thank you for joining me today on this special halloween episode you certainly have brought murder ballads to life
3: if you're interested in learning more about murder ballads there are a bunch of podcasts that i would recommend uh, including the one called Murder Ballads, a a Spotify original that I think is really good, and Songs in the Key of Death. Those can both be found on Spotify.
0: Terrific. Thank you for the recommendations there. And if you want to learn more about the cases, come into our reading room or... Visit a computer and fire up the uh, North Carolina Digital Collections and look for things there. Otherwise, thank you for listening to this episode of Connecting the Docs. Special thanks to our guests, Katie Crickmore and Josh Hager, to voiceover specialist Stuart Parks, to producer Shauna Carr, and to our voiceover specialist and producer, Brooke Chuka, and to the voice you hear at the beginning and end of each episode, Judy Allen Dotson.
1: Thanks for joining us this week on Connecting the Docs. Make sure to visit our website, connectingthedocs.podbean.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. If you like this show, you might want to check out our blog, History for All the People, at ncarchives.wordpress.com.